Like Steve said, good morning to all of you. Welcome to Grace Church, Medina East Campus. Really excited that you are here this morning. Uh, if you don't know me, um, that's probably not a bad thing, but if you don't, I would love the opportunity to maybe connect with you, but allow me to introduce myself first. Uh, my name is Seth. I am one of the pastors here at the Medina East Campus. And again, as Steve mentioned a few moments ago, if you are a guest here with us today, if this is your first time, I just wanna extend again a thank you so much for being out here <clears throat> this morning and checking out Grace Church. Uh, please tap me on the shoulder in the cafe. I would love to get the opportunity to meet you, as well as anybody else, if I don't know you, I would love to carry on a conversation. So um, if you've been around, uh, you know, but if you haven't been around, let me kind of clue you in on, the, on what uh, the conversations we've been having uh, the past couple weeks in this series have been about. So for the past couple weeks, we have been in a series, obviously, that you see here that we have been calling All Out and All In. And essentially, this is a series that is focused on this major, like this big, massive subject that's encapsulated in a single word, and it's this word, worship. So what is worship? How do we worship? How is a Christ follower to understand worship? And even if you're not a Christ follower, how are you supposed to interpret what the Bible says about worship? So it's been a conversation about this big deal worship. And I think we can say uh, that when we look at our lives, when we look at our culture, when we look at society, man, I think we could safely say that we all worship something. In other words, we all highly value and esteem certain things in our lives to the point where we will literally conform our lives, wrap our lives around these things that we esteem and we value. So we thought, man, this is a big deal. This conversation about worship is a really important one to work through, and we kind of want God's perspective on this thing. We want the Bible's perspective on this thing. So what we've really been trying to do in this series is we've been trying to give you like a quick hit, just super simple, straightforward definition of what worship is. And the way we thought that was best to do that was this phrase, all out and all in. So what do we mean by that? Well, here, let me give you some definitions for those of us so we can all get on the same page here this morning. What we mean by all out is this. <clears throat> we mean behaviors, actions, and habits. This is the external stuff of my life. Again, when I value something highly and I prize it, if I'm worshiping it, that's not going to stay inside of me. Like something is going to happen externally with my body. My habits, my behaviors are going to change. They're going to be different. But we also said that worship is not just all out, it is all in. We define that as our motivations, our heart, and our beliefs. In other words, if all out is the external stuff that's the stuff of worship, all in is what's going on inside of me. We're talking about things like my heart and my emotions and my mind. In other words, what is the thing that takes up the most amount of mental real estate for you? When you set your mind on those things, it might give you a good indication that you worship or that you adore that thing. And so back in the uh, introduction to this series, we looked at a passage called, uh, a, a passage in Romans 12, one through two, where the Apostle Paul really uh, takes these two considerations into account in that passage. And, and here's what the Apostle Paul says. He leads in by saying that Christ followers are to be um, transformed by the renewing of their minds. But before he says that, he says that these Christ followers are to offer their bodies as living sacrifices, that followers of Jesus are to flesh outwardly their worship by offering their bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And Paul says that this, this outward expression, is a spiritual act of worship to God. So worship is indeed a bodily thing. It's an outward thing. It is all out. 
But then Paul goes on to say in that passage, he says that followers of Jesus are no longer to be, he says, conformed to the pattern of this world. He says, don't be any longer pressed into the mold of what the world says you should be. Instead, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, this is the all-in piece. It's the internal stuff. It is having my internal OS, right? My internal operating system rebooted. And here's what we said in this series, ultimately, is that when we have our all in, that the internal stuff of our mind, our emotions, and our affections, and we have the all out, that outward stuff that we do, when those are moving toward each other in increasing alignment, man, we said that is a very good understanding of this idea of worship. We also finally said that usually when my all out flows from my transformed all in, that man, we are at a good spot to understanding what the Bible wants us to see about this idea of worship. And furthermore, in our introduction, we said too that there are some kind of resources or gauges or test questions that we have at our disposal that will give us every indication of the things that we are all out and all in about. So last week, we began a conversation about one of those resources, and we talked about our stuff. So this would be our money and our material possessions, our stuff. So what we're gonna do this week is we're gonna shift the conversation a little bit and we are going to look at another resource, again, that we have at our disposal that lets us know what we truly worship, what we might be all out and all in about. And this is our abilities, our talents, and our gifts. Our abilities, talents, and gifts. In other words, the stuff that you are good at. Our abilities, talents, and gifts. Now, this last word, gifts, I wanna play with this for a second because I think when we talk about the word gifts, I would, uh, I would probably wager a lot of money at Vegas, which I never do. I don't do that. I'm a pastor, come on, right? Uh, but if I were to wager, wager a lot of money in Vegas, I probably would do it on the idea that every single one of us in this room, when we hear the word gifts, we automatically know that we are in a conversation about the stuff that we're good at, Right? We're automatically, even if we didn't have these words at the top here on the screen, if we started talking about gifts, we would all intuitively know that we are talking about our abilities and our talents, the stuff that we're good at. And why? Well, it's because culturally, it's almost second nature to us, isn't it? I, I, think, uh, I think about the grandfather that looks at his grandson when his grandson does something really cool and trying to leave a legacy, that, grand, that grandfather looks at his grandson right in the eyes and he says, look at me, son, you got a gift you got a gift, you use that gift. I don't know why I kind of went George Bush on you guys there for a second, but nevertheless, that's the picture that I get, right? Because it's second nature to us. Gifts mean talents and abilities. If someone is gifted, that means you're saying something about what they're good at. But I think if we pause for a second and we think about this for, for just a moment, we realize that our usage of that word gift to refer to those things probably tells us something about some underlying assumptions that we have and our culture has when we use that word gift. Think about it for a minute. What is a gift by its sheer definition? A gift is something that is given to me by someone else. And, and not, a, not an impersonal force or not an energy. Energies don't give gifts. Gifts, by their very definition, is something that is given to me by another person. That here, here's a big deal. That did not originate from me. Something that's given to me by another person that did not originate from me. 
Think about what that says about our abilities and talents and how we understand them. And I think if we're willing to concede this, that this reveals some of our assumptions about these things, it opens up a host of questions that we start to ask, doesn't it? Well, first of all, if my ability or the stuff that I'm good at is the product of something that someone gave to me that didn't originate from myself, first of all, who gave it to me? How did I get it? Where did it come from? And furthermore, you ask a question, okay, well, let's just say I received a gift from someone else and it's hardwired into my DNA. Well, then what kind of responsibilities do I have to grow that gift, to mature that gift as I continue to grow myself? What would that look like? And then uh, more importantly, and I tell you what, I'd rather, uh, I'd rather ratchet that up a little bit and say I think the most important thing that we consider is based upon these first couple of questions and it's this. Ultimately, at the end of the day, if I've been given gifts and if I am to interact with them in a certain way, ultimately, what is the purpose of this? What's the goal of my gifts? What's the goal of me having stuff that I'm good at? I think fortunately for us, the Bible does not leave us in the dark when we come to it with some of these questions. As a matter of fact, I mentioned earlier that in our introductory conversation in this series, we looked at a passage in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And it's interesting that if you start to move forward from that passage into Romans 12, 3 through 9, you discover that there are some very profound answers to those questions that we ask that are related to our gifts. So here's what we're going to do. For the rest of our time together, we are going to look at a passage, this Romans 12, 3 through 9, and we are going to take all these questions and we're going to reduce them down to three. And we're going to use these three questions as a guide as we walk through this passage. So there are three questions that we're going to ask of this passage about our gifts. Three questions. The first one is, again, fundamental question. Where do they come from? Where do they originate? Number two, how should I view them? They come from someone else. What is the way I am supposed to interact with these things in my life? And then finally, number three, and the ultimate question, the big deal question that we're gonna ask is, what is their purpose? What is their purpose? So now's the time. If you brought your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab those, or if you have it on your smartphone, you can start making your way to Romans 12, three through nine. If you don't have a Bible here with you this morning, that is okay. You can follow along on the screens behind me, or you can grab one of those black Bibles under the seats in front of you. It will be on page 790 in those Bibles. Uh, Also, if you choose to participate that way, great. But if you don't have a Bible to call your very own at all, whether or not you choose to follow along that way, here's what we want you to do. We want you to go ahead and just take one of those home with you. Just consider it our way of saying thank you for being here, and also just consider it our, pun intended, gift to you, right? So again, Romans 12, three through nine. By now, I think I've bought you enough time to get there. So here we go. We're gonna read this together. Paul says this to the group of Christ followers in Rome. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and by the way, members here is functioning organ or limb of the body, okay? So Paul says, each of us has one body with many members, which is true. He applies this to the church, the group of Christ followers, and these members do not have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, 
then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. Apparently, this is a newsflash, okay? If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And then Paul culminates this with saying, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. All right, again, so here's what we're gonna do. Our tour guide is going to be these three questions. We're gonna start with the first one as we look at this passage. First of all, what does this passage say about where our gifts come from? Now, for some of us, we might think this is ridiculously obvious, right? Our gifts come from God. But look at what Paul says here as we kind of enter into this passage. He says, for by the grace given to me, and I highlight this section for a purpose, he says, I say to every one of you. And then Paul begins to issue in the following verses a bunch of commands. Now, I think what's happening here is Paul is really being polite when he says, I'm going to say something to you. Generally, when someone says they're going to say something to you, they're not gonna then rip off a bunch of commands that is basically gonna tell you how you ought to operate in your life and what you should do now that you are a Christ follower. I think Paul's being really polite here. I think he's subtly referring to the fact in this verse that he's like, listen, guys, I have authority over you. I have authority to speak into your life to such a degree that if you are a follower of Jesus, I'm going to tell you how you should think, how you should be acting, and how you should behave. That all out, that all in kind of stuff. But I think what's interesting here is Paul does not leave us without um, a reason or a legitimacy to his appeal to have authority over the group of Christ followers in Rome. Look at what he leads in with. He says, for by the grace that was given to me, now this grace, something that was given to him, provides the legitimization, it provides the ground on which he can stand to then issue these commands about how they should behave and how they should think. Now what's interesting here is for Paul, the language of grace, the language of gift, and the language of generosity are often for him just synonymous. You could almost take those three terms and wrap them with a cord, and Paul is basically saying the same thing. So what he's really driving at here is he's saying, like, listen, guys, I have authority, but it's not just for me to exercise some uh, random authority. I'm not just this despotic authority. I, I'm not trying to get off on my authority here. What I'm trying to tell you is something, an ability and a talent was placed into me that gives me the right to interact with you in this way. This is the gift that I bring to the church. This is the gift that I bring to the body of Christ, is what Paul is saying. Now, what's interesting to me here is that we're not given the answer to our first question. Paul does not say who it is who gives him this gift. I think that's pretty peculiar. But I think what we have to realize, too, is when we look at a passage like this, when we start in Romans 12, 3, we have to understand that we are parachuting right in the middle of a bigger book with some bigger themes that Paul has been writing throughout the entire book of Romans. You see, what you may not know if you just drop right in on this passage unannounced is that Paul has spent the first 11 chapters using that language of grace, of gift, and of generosity over and over and over and over and over again. If you think about what it means to beat a dead horse, that's exactly what Paul does in the first 11 chapters of this book of Romans. Over and over again, he refers to the fact that God has given a gift 
to humanity in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. And in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, Jesus, by being obedient and sacrificing himself on the cross, has literally taken the sin of the world on his shoulders, the sin that separated human beings from a good relationship with God, has taken that sin on his shoulders and has offered a renewed and restored, reconciled relationship with the God of the universe. Jesus is presented in the first 11 chapters as the greatest gift that brings human beings access to God. And over and over again, it is God who is the one who is said to have provided this gift of salvation in Jesus. To the point where Paul says it so many times that at the very end of chapter 11 in verse 36, Paul says this, it's like this beautiful, these beautiful words where he says, for from him, and he's talking about God, he says, for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations, amen. In other words, certified, you can bank on it, it's a guarantee. Man, what Paul is alluding to here, he doesn't even have to say it because by now to the church in Rome, it is ridiculously obvious that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. The reality is, and sometimes I think we think this is a no-brainer, but really, I know for me, I don't often operate in my life by acknowledging that the stuff that I'm good at, my talents and abilities, is from God, it's not my own. It is a generous gift from a good and loving God that has been strategically and beautifully placed in me and in you for his glory. And, and here's the thing, when God gives a gift, he doesn't just do the Christmas thing like open it up, oh wow, it's a great gift, and then you pass it on for the next gift. No, when God gives a gift, here's, here's what's happening. Grace Gift, generosity says that when God gives a gift, he imparts, listen to this, aspects of himself and his character into the vessel that receives the gift. See, the reality is, guys, we can't forget this. This is the foundational piece that we have to acknowledge. Guys, you are good at stuff because God is a good and generous gift giver who loved you enough to wire you that way. So that's the answer to question number one. Where does it come from? It's obvious, is what Paul says. It's God. But we ought to think about that and consider that more and more. Which then, of course, like we said, leads us to the second question. All right, well, if my gifts are indeed from God, they come from him, and I'm willing to acknowledge that, how should I interact with these things? What's the way I should view them? How should I handle these things? Now, again, we mentioned that we parachuted into Romans chapter 12, verses three through nine. And what's going on in this passage is actually something that if you start to dig behind the English a little bit into the original language, there's something really cool that's going on in this passage that you might not catch if we just read it in the English. And this is because, like, frankly, um, I don't know if many of us know this or not, but when we approach the Bible, like, the Bible, for as much as it is God's very message to us, it is also, like, beautifully crafted. It's got some, like, serious literary artistry. And so the authors of Scripture are, are really, really good writers that intend to tell us something. And when we, we, we dive back in sometimes into the original language, we can see these things flesh out in ways that we can't in an English translation. 
Now, my basis for this claim, especially in this passage, revolves around the usage that Paul has of this word in the Greek, the teacher Greek word, it's gonna be fun, right? This word, phranein, okay? This word is phranein. Say it with me. Phranein. Steve said it. You can do better than that. Phranein, right? That's better. And I'm impressed. I heard the accent on the second syllable. That was impressive. That is correct. You guys all get an A, and I knight the Greek scholars, all of us, everyone in this room, okay? So here's what phrenane means. Simple. It means to think. It means to consider something or to mentally weigh something. You think back as we started our conversation today, we talked about what takes up mental real estate in your mind. Phrenane simply means to devote or dedicate um, an amount of your brain, an amount of your mental real estate towards something or to someone. Now, what's fascinating is if you start to dig into this passage, you will discover that in the second half of verse three here, that word phrenane appears four times. Four times in half a verse with a couple variations. And so since it's a little tricky for us to figure out in English, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm basically gonna take the appearances of that word phrenane and I'm going to replace them, I'm gonna replace the English words in the sentence as it appears so we can kind of get a little bit more of what's happening here. You ready? Here we go. This is what it says. Paul says, do not hyperphrenate. I gotta laugh, that was good. Uh, do not hyperphrenate more than you should phrenate, but phrenate with sophrenate. Do not hyperphrenate more than you should phrenate, but phrenate with sophrenate. So you're like, okay, Seth, why does this matter, <laughs> right? Okay, let's, let's just take the couple of variations here for a moment, because you're like, I know what phrenane means, you gave me the definition, but what's this hyperphrenane and what's this sophrenane? Let's start with hyperphrenane, okay? Hyperphrenane is literally how it sounds. It is over-the-top, hyperactive thinking about something, like beyond necessity, exaggerated, and again, unnecessary. So this is the hyperphrenate. Now, this is literally a person that cannot stop thinking about themselves and their abilities. And here's the thing. I'm gonna provide you a couple examples, but my guess is that we have all experienced the rare specimen of the hyperphrenate in its natural habitat, haven't we? That's right. It's the reason why many of us don't wanna go to the gym. Because if you go to the gym you know what's gonna happen. And the next little story that I'm about to tell may or may not have happened to me, I'm just saying. So, but you know what's gonna happen. Immediately, you're gonna open that door and you're gonna step inside and lo and behold, the hyperphrenate. He's the one that's standing in front of that wall of mirrors. He's got 800 pound dumbbells in each arm, right? And he's staring at himself in the mirror intently, looking at his biceps flexed. But simultaneously and awkwardly, he's also staring into your very soul. (laughs) And he's looking at you and looking at himself, and he's just curling these things like nobody's business. Like, this is easy. He's like toothpicks in his hand. And he's always grunting in the wrong spot. Like, you don't need to grunt, bro. I get it. I know. You're the hyperphrenane. I get you. Like, you're good. He's always like doing... Whoa. That's the hyperphrenate. 
Literally, his outward arrogance, his outward infatuation with himself is flowing from his all-in infatuation, his hyperphrenate about his ability. It's the same when you go into Guitar Center. Yeah. So just when you muster enough courage, you walk into Guitar Center, you muster enough courage to plug into that amplifier that you've been wanting to try for so long. You finally do it, you plug in, you turn the volume knob up on your guitar, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Eddie Van Halen sitting next to you. And he's also plugged into an amp, and he's turned that thing up to 11, and he's running arpeggios and hammer-ons like behind his head. He's also staring straight into your soul while he's doing this, you know. He's running arpeggios up and down his fretboard, and then all of a sudden, somehow you realize that he's running arpeggios up and down your face, too. Like, he's just doing this thing. And Eddie's got this look like, apologize to the Dos Equis guy but I am the most interesting man in the world. Right? It's the same reason why if some of you have that, uh, that woman in your life who she's a really good inter interior decorator, but she wants everyone to know it. She wants to invite you over to her house for the 30th time and do another tour of all the things that she's done to make this so cute. Because she thinks she's the second coming of Joanna Gaines. Magnolia fixture. I got laughs that time. That was good. I was told to put that in there. I, I, have, not, I have no idea what that is. So. But the hyperphrenane is also why many of us have boycotted like these, uh, these music and, and Hollywood award shows, right? It's this over-the-top, self-centered, self-indulgent, dysfunctional perspective about one's own abilities. It is the guy that literally cannot stop thinking about himself, and his all-out arrogance is the product of this posture in his mind. We've all met him. This is what's happening. But what Paul says, he literally says, don't be that guy. It's like, don't hyper for name. And instead, he says, the better alternative is this word, sophrenane. Now, I love what he does here because he picks a word that literally takes the word sophia in Greek, which means wisdom skill, insight, having knowledge, but not just for knowledge's sake, being able to employ that knowledge practically for the betterment of life. He takes a word that includes Sophia, that wisdom, and phrenane, into the sophrenane, which literally means, guys, instead, think wisely. Think skillfully. Think with all the data at your disposal. Not just partially, but everything at your disposal. He says, think wisely, properly, or appropriately. I love the second half of this definition. It is the skill. It's a skill to see life this way. The skill of seeing everything, but more importantly, in its proper fit. And it's in its proper function. And notice what Paul does not say. Paul does not say that the antidote to hyperphrenane is something that we would call antiphrenane as though I should sweep all my abilities and talents under the proverbial rug, or I should engage in self-deprecation and character assassination about my gifts. Oh, I couldn't, no, that's not right. I can't put the spotlight on me. No, 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 Paul says, there's a better way. There's a middle road, and what he's saying is, guys, the gift's not yours. It's from God. That simultaneously means, on one hand, that it is beautiful and it is worthwhile, and that you are strategically designed that way by a good and gracious God. You don't have to have the pressure 
of thinking that thing is your own. You can know that the beautiful gift comes from God and it's supposed to be used in beautiful ways, but you can also know that you don't have to claim that thing for yourself and neither do you have to assassinate your character as a result. Instead, we can think wisely. We can think like God thinks about this. Now, what I love too is that this word sophronain has close associations with that really elusive like Christ-like quality that we hear about a lot in the Bible, this humility, this notion of humility. Humility is literally this, this notion of sophronating rightly that, that when I leverage my gift or my ability or when it's on display and someone shares appreciation for that or gives me praise, I can receive that into myself in a healthy way and then in my next breath, like turn around and project all of that back onto the God who gave me that gift. I love the way that uh, pastor and author Tim Keller has put this when he talks about sophronating and humility. This is what he says, so simple but so good. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not self-deprecation. It's not thinking less of your ability, it's thinking rightly. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is just thinking of yourself less. Don't be that hyper for name guy. And then I would simply add this, humbly of course, that humility in its essence is us deciding to adopt God's view of you. Humility is choosing to adopt God's view of you and your gift. So answer to the first question, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Answer to the second question is, there's a better way. We don't have to over-exaggerate our gifts. We don't have to underappreciate them. We can soften names. We can think about them rightly, which leads us to this third question. Ultimately, the big deal. All right, given these things, what is the purpose of me having stuff that I'm good at? You know, as I uh, started to think about this a little bit, I was, I was dealing with this passage that we're in, and we'll get there in a second, but I couldn't help but like, have my mind drift toward um, the, the interest that my six-year-old son, Caleb, has in Legos. Uh, now I have, I have three kids at home. I have an 11-year-old, soon-to-be 12-year-old daughter, Elena, a nine-year-old daughter, Hannah, and then I got this little dude, six years old, Caleb, and man, this guy absolutely loves his Legos. And that may be because I invested that into him <laughs> as a gift when he was younger, but I tell you what, like, I just so much enjoy watching this kid play with his Legos. I mean, there's something really amazing about, like, a tiny pint-sized version of me. And all the creativity that comes out when he's playing with the plastic block. I mean, it's incredible. Like, a lot of times, I just want to dive in. I want to get in the sandbox, right? I want to play with those Legos with him because we share a lot of relationship and joy when we play Legos together. But, guys, there are times where I just intentionally, I want to step back, and I just want to observe him and watch him when he plays with his Legos. And it brings me great joy because, man, there is a, there's a part of, there's a, there's a life that comes out of my son in unique and different ways when I watch him interact with that plastic block. There's something that happens when he's playing that just brings me so much joy. And because it brings me so much joy, it, it makes me want to buy him more Legos and give them to him as gifts. 
It's the reason why when my wife says, do you want to go shopping with me? I say no, and then she says, I'm going to Target, and I'm like, yes, because I can go down the Lego aisle and check out all the cool new Legos. And when I go down the Lego aisle, usually about, it's a 75% chance that I'm going to see something that I'm like, Caleb would love that. Oh, man, and I would love to stand back and watch him interact with that thing. So I'll buy that for him, and then I'll hand it over to him as a gift. Now, the gift, the Lego box, the Lego set, is a symbol of my desire and of joy to relate with my son and see that aspect of him come alive when he's using that gift, when he's playing with that gift. But as I thought about this a little further, I started to realize that, you know, for as much as that gift is the source of so much life and vitality and creativity that comes out of him when he interacts with it, it is also simultaneously the same source of all the fighting, of all the anger, of all the name calling, the frustration, the hitting, the hair pulling that happens between him and his older sister. You see, here's something you need to know. Hannah loves Legos too. And here's what happens. When I give the gift of Legos to my son, and by the way, I give my daughter gifts too. Don't worry about that. <laughs> it's the illustration, okay? When I give the gift of Legos to my son, like, I want him to experience the joy <clears throat> that comes from that. But I think he starts to miss out on something when he looks and somebody else begins to play with that gift or interact with that gift. There's a natural inclination for him to want to push others away and bring that thing closer into himself. Why? Well, partially because he really values the connection that that thing symbolizes between he and I, but him receiving the gift from me. But here's the problem. Not only has my son failed to remember that those Legos were not his in the first place, they were gifted to him by his father, not only is he failing to see these things rightly, not over-exaggerating the gift and not under-appreciating it, but he's also failing to see, and this is the most important thing, he's failing to see that the greatest joy that one could ever experience when they receive a gift is that they get the opportunity to generously and liberally share that gift with the world around them. Not out of a hyperphrenane like, okay, look out world, here comes my gift. You're gonna be wowed. You're gonna be blessed to know me and my gift. No, 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 sophrenane. See, when my son receives that gift, there's no greater joy. This is gonna sound sappy and stupid, but man, I get no greater joy. I also get no greater sense of honor and respect and praise as a father than when I see my son share his Legos. The Apostle Paul continues on here and he says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And then he begins to list some of these gifts that were present, these abilities that were present in the group of Christ followers in Rome, the people to whom he's writing. And he says, that it's not an exhaustive list. This is just a sample. It's an example. There are many kinds of different gifts and diversity from the God who wired us in certain ways. 
But after Paul gives example, he layers on example after example after example, and you kind of get this sense in the literature that it's rushing up to this climax and the apex of the reason why God gives gifts. He runs through this, he brings it up. The climax is this. Guys, with your gift, you have to remember that the purpose is love and that love must be sincere. Love has to be genuine, literally This could be translated as love without hypocrisy. Don't be two-faced in your love as you think about your gifts and your abilities. Don't buy into the world's definition of love that says, if something makes me feel good, I like it, I'll call it love, and then I hoard it to myself and I bring it to myself and push everybody else away. No, instead, Paul says this is a kind of love that is a decision, it is a decisive commitment by an individual that, they, that that individual will be for the good and for the flourishing of another person, even if it's at great cost to myself. That this is the love that Paul says should be sincere. Don't be two-faced with that thing. Understand that every good and perfect gift that we have, any ability comes from God. It's not my own. That I can sophronate about this thing. I can leverage it, but for what? Man, Paul says the ultimate purpose of you having abilities is so that you can translate those abilities out into the wider world. And if you're a Christ follower, the abilities that you have means that this connection, this acknowledgement that the gift comes from God, this relationship that you have with God means that your gifts and abilities are there to offer an invitation for others to experience the same joy and creativity and vitality that comes from knowing the God who gives the good gifts. That's what they're for. Gifts are meant to be leveraged to love to sacrifice ourselves, even at great cost to ourselves, for the benefit of another person. And the ultimate benefit is that they would come to know God's greatest gift, the sending of his son, Jesus, so they could be restored to relationship with him. That's what Paul says your gifts are all about. That's their purpose. And And I love, too, when we think about this, this makes sense. This makes big sense. Because you think about Jesus... Jesus is the perfect example of one who interacted with his gifts appropriately. He is not only the gift that provides us access into that relationship with God, he's also the example of what it looks like to see your gifts rightly and to leverage them in love. Jesus would go around saying all the time, man, I can't do anything unless I first hear from my father. I have to connect in that relationship. I have to know what his plan is because that's what I'm gonna do. Jesus is the one who sophronained rightly, neither overindulging in his gifts, but not sweeping them under the rug, leveraging his gifts for the benefit of other people, even at great cost to himself, the cost of his life on the cross. And Jesus is the one who loved you and me so radically that he gave his life that we might come to know the good God who gives us these gifts. The Apostle Paul elsewhere, he, he kind of brings all this, these ideas, and he compresses them together in a short passage when he speaks about the example of Jesus, the gospel in person, the good news about the possibility of relating with God rightly and loving other people. This is what he says. 
He says, in your relationships with one another, right? The horizontal relationships that we have. As we interact with others, how should we think about our gifts? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, by the way, that is franein. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't hyper franein. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Sophronine, right? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The cross as the greatest expression of sacrificial love, of radically loving other people. Man, if we want to know what our gifts are all about, if we want to know how to use them rightly and what their purpose is, all we got to do is look at Jesus. He is both God's gift to connect us to the Father, and he is also the example to empower us to do the same thing and love those around us with our gifts. Uh, at this point, I'm going to invite the band up, and we are going to kind of close things down. But here's what I want to do just very quickly. I know we've kind of lived at 10,000 feet a little bit. I'd like to just maybe uh, provide some opportunity to press this down a little bit, maybe get it slightly more concrete. Um, and I would just say uh, a couple quick things to um, two different audiences. First audience, if you are a follower of Jesus, I just want to, I just want to address you guys for a second if I could. If you're a follower of Jesus, um, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to take the next couple minutes as the band sings and as we play and as we worship together, I just want you to take a couple minute, minutes to just create a space to set your mind on some of these things. Uh, maybe for you, you find yourself drifting into this area of the hyperphenane. Maybe you're so concerned about your own gifts and abilities and how they're gonna be leveraged that it has become almost to the point of hyperactive thinking. It's, become, it's come to the point of excessive thinking and and maybe for you, it's just this opportunity where you can do some business with God and ask him, God, help me to figure out how to navigate the middle road of Sophronain. Help, just remind me, God, that these aren't mine in the first place and that I can use them rightly. And then, God, help me figure out what maybe the next step is that I can do to love maybe my neighbor, maybe that coworker who needs it, maybe my family member, somebody in my life that I can share this gracious gift of God that he's given me with them. Because the reality is if you're a Christ follower, what you've signed up for is to say that, man, God has given you gifts, but those gifts are then meant to be turned around to love and to serve other people. So I challenge you, if you're a Christ follower, you would do that business as we sing and as we play together. Um, and then the other audience, if you don't call yourself a follower of Jesus, man, I am so glad that you're here. Um, I would just maybe submit something to you, something to think about as the band plays. You know, the, the culture and the world tells us that our gifts and our abilities are something that is to be used to compete with other people. Culture and, uh, and the world and society tells us that you're your own person, you make yourself, and you've got these abilities, and you need to be the brightest and the best, and you need to push down other people so that you can be exalted. And the way that we do that is through these gifts that we have. We show off, and that's what makes us significant. Man, I would just say to you that, um, I'll be honest with you, that's exhausting. That's exhausting. And I will tell you this, if you, haven't, if you haven't yet, 
If you continue to buy into that world's agenda that your gifts are to compete and you're supposed to be the brightest and the best, you will run out of gas. You run out of gas. But I would just offer you a better way. Maybe I would just ask you to consider, just wave the white flag for a second and say, man, you know what? Maybe God has put these things in my life for a reason. And maybe, maybe that's to love other people. And maybe, just maybe, what it means is I don't need to get caught in the rat race of those things anymore. And I can live in the freedom of knowing that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what the Bible says about us. I can live in the freedom that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And I can have purpose in my life to love other people with the talents that God has given me. And I would say to you that all that takes is just saying yes to Jesus. Just buying into his agenda and his way of doing life. And all that takes is like, yep, God, I'm in. I'm gonna place my faith in Jesus. I want you to tell me how my gift should be used. And if that's you, if you make that decision, I just wanna quickly encourage you, like take that connect card out of your program that you received. Just jot down a note letting us know that you did that. Because first of all, man, we wanna celebrate with you in that. And then we are real serious about walking alongside of you to figure out just where your abilities fit in God's people so that we can together love the world in complementary ways. Lastly, this is the super practical thing. Throughout this series, we have uh, provided you this text in number. If you text AOAI to this number, 41411, and no, this is not a marketing ploy. <laughs> you will not receive 5,000 different offers on 20% discounts to Guitar Center. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. Um, but here, this, this number, if you text in AOAI to 41411, it's simply going to return a text with a web address that when you click on that, has a host of resources where you can literally choose how you wanna take the next step, like the next thing that you're gonna do. And a lot of times that looks like using your gifts and serving here with the family at the Medina East Campus. Now here's the thing. When I say serving, what I'm not talking about is leveraging your gift for free labor to perpetuate the Grace Church machine. That's not what we're talking about. Think of it differently, that we all together with unique gifts and abilities that God is gathering together a people that when we come together in our complementary ways with all the things that we're good at and we find our fit, that man, we can love the world in radical ways just like Jesus did. That's what that's all about. So I wanna encourage you, text that in, go on that website, find the next step for you to get plugged in here in the body of Christ at the Medina East Campus. At the end of the day, this is what it's all about. It's remembering that God has given us these good gifts. Man, you guys are awesome. Why? Because God said so. But that we need to think about these things rightly and we can by God's power. And that ultimately, man, these gifts are given to love the world around us and introduce them to our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, you're just worthy to be worshiped. You're worthy of our all out and all in. God, thank you for giving us the offer of salvation in Jesus, this free gift that has been given to us that we did not deserve. It's by your grace that we come into a relationship with you. Father, thank you for that. Thank you that uh, you didn't stop there. You also placed and designed us. You placed these things in us and you designed us in such a way that we're good at stuff. And that's all because of you. 
So you just continually prove that you are the God who lavishes your grace and your gifts on us even when we don't deserve it. God, help us, Lord, to allow our minds, our internal stuff, our all in to be transformed, to, to think more about the things you think about, to love the things that you love, to value the things that you value, and that that all in can be transformed into the all out. God, that we can make the next step, that we can move and we can look at things like our abilities as a means to gauge whether we're all out or all in in our lives with you, but also as a mechanism or a vehicle to take this precious gift of your son and hand it out freely to the wider world. God, help us to figure out each and every one of us as we play and as we worship together. As we sing, God, help us to prayerfully consider what our next steps are. And God, give us the motivation and the power to take the next step, to get our gift plugged in. Not overthinking it, not underthinking it, but truly reflecting you and your heartbeat in everything that we do, including our gifts. God, you're worthy of it. You're great and you're merciful and we love you. And we say this all in Jesus' name.